it's a way to explain to families they're they're swimming in one direction upstream and the culture at large is swimming against them. Let us teach you how to be a part of their school so that they're not swimming alone. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Today's guests on the Seasoned RD are a dynamic trio. Rebecca Brum, Certified Eating Disorder Specialist and Supervisor and Certified Intuitive Eating Counselor and Recovered Clinician. Gracie Evans, Licensed Professional Counselor and CEDS Specialist. And Sarah King, Licensed Professional Counselor. All over 30 years of experience with eating disorders treatment, working at all levels of care. This episode is packed with information on how to support caregivers. Oh, so glad we have these resources. Um, also utilizing EFFT or emotion-focused family therapy techniques to support recovery from eating disorders as stress and anxiety disorders and the impact that our guests have seen to families who receive this help. Lastly, how to do our work with parents has been similar and yet different from treatment with patients. A listener comment, Emily, if you work in eating disorders, even through a weight neutral lens, it can feel very lonely. Beth and Abby bring in some celebrities in the eating disorders field, and the shows are so informative and comforting. I learned so much about the different roles in treatment, potential CEUs and philosophies, a must listen. Well, thank you, Emily, and please do, any of you who are listening, just take a moment to rate, review, and share this. What this podcast is and is not, in this podcast we bring medical nutrition and therapy professionals who share their passions to pique interest in available modalities for the field of eating disorders. It's intended to inform and educate. What it is not is not a substitute for professional training and supervision required to specialize in the treatment of eating disorders nor is it a substitute for medical, nutritional, or psychological advice from a professional or specialist. So happy to have all three of you here with us today, Rebecca Brum, Gracie Evans, and Sarah King. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Well, we are excited to chat with you all. So Rebecca, I know we've had you on a previous podcast, so we've already answered our icebreakers. So Gracie and Sarah, whoever wants to start off with this, my first icebreaker for you, mountains or beach? Mm, I would say mountains. My family actually goes to Colorado every summer and we really enjoy getting away from the Oklahoma heat and having some nice, cool Colorado weather for a change. So definitely mountains. This is an impossible question for me to answer. <laughs> I love the, I love the beach, but my husband's from Montana and we got married in the Montana mountains. 
So I say both. <laughs> That's okay. <Yeah>. Both, please. <laughs> All right, great. And then my second one for you, breakfast or dinner? Mm. Brunch. so I love coffee every morning if I don't have my coffee my day feels off and so I love coffee and then I love all breakfast or brunch foods I just don't maybe want to get up really early to eat to eat them (laughs) so brunch understandable breakfast I I love the mornings I'm a morning person also love coffee and all the breakfast food. Yeah. Awesome. I know that our listeners can't see, but I have my hand over my heart when Gracie said Montana, because that I just got back from that area for my second in a year. Let's see. Last year I went to Montana and then this year was Wyoming, but the mountains out there are just breathtaking. All right. Final question, icebreaker, audiobook or paper book? Sarah, you've been going first. So, yeah. So my, my preference used to be paper books, but now I have a toddler and a four-year-old and don't have time to read. And so I listen to audiobooks while I multitask now. So now it's audiobooks. Paper book, paper book, still audiobook on road trips only, but I, I love me some page turning. <laughs> yeah. As, and, and that's part of this podcast is bringing in some of the old and the new and the technologies and how we both, we all evolve to enjoy different things and we, and know different things. And I'm a little bit of both with the audiobook and the paper book. I, much less paper book these days, even though I don't have a toddler around and a baby, <laughs> but I just, on the commute, that's really a nice way to kind of catch up on things. And I have a stack this big of, you know, books that I want to read. All right. So how, let's just talk, you all share a practice where you do parenting through eating disorders. I want to hear all about it. All of you are therapists. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so maybe with with Sarah and Gracie, how did you get into the field of therapy? And then how did you get into the field of eating disorders? Good question. So I genuinely just really like people and find purpose in helping other people be their best selves. So therapy just kind of always seemed like a natural fit. And I like that it's so diverse, you never get bored because no two people are the same. No two situations are the same. And so I feel challenged every day as a therapist. And I feel like you always have to be learning. And I, I really enjoy that. I actually started as a therapist doing more trauma work, which we all know still is applicable with treating eating disorders, but it it never felt like just quite the right fit. And so then, you know, I did school counseling, but I really missed the therapeutic relationship that kind of led me to treating eating disorders. And it was such a great fit. I kind of felt like I had finally found my thing. And I really have enjoyed the clients that I've had who have eating disorders. And I feel like they have so much to offer the world. They're often high achieving and just wonderful people. So when I feel like I can help them 
it feels like I'm helping the world in some ways because then they're free to go out and make their own difference. So huge, you know, I'm so glad that you said that because here's something that you said about the, in therapy, you never get bored. And I had a family therapist say, why would you specialize in eating disorders? Aren't you going to get bored? And specializing in one. Yeah, I see. Our listeners can't see the collective sigh that just happened amongst you. There's never a moment of boredom within just the field of eating disorders. That's the feeling you don't feel, but boredom not. (laughs) Exactly. All right. And Gracie, how about you? How'd you get into therapy and then eating disorders? So connection and relationships are are two of my core values and similar to Sarah, therapy was a a great fit for me. And I believe that the foundation of a therapeutic process is relationship, connection, trust. Uh, So being able to, to sit with people and, and help them through, you know, some of the most trying and challenging times in, in their life is truly a gift to me and something that I feel very, lucky that I, that I get to do and that I get to practice every day. I was fortunate enough to be hired as a psychiatric tech in an inpatient eating disorders facility right out of undergrad. And so I saw, you know, I saw, saw and learned a lot about eating disorders, um, how challenging they can be, but also how rewarding they can be. And then worked my way into, into a therapist position working inpatient with eating disorders. And again, similar to Sarah, I love the complexity of treating this population. I had someone just the other day ask me like, oh my gosh, you work with people with eating disorders. Isn't that so hard? And I was like, well, yeah, but it's awesome. I get to, I get to work with, with human beings that are insightful, intelligent, and have so much to contribute to the world. I just, I, I feel very, very lucky to get to do that. Right. And Rebecca, I know we already asked you these questions. And so we connected too over how those of us in the outpatient world sometimes feel like we're on an island. And so how, and, and you all three are in the outpatient world right now, and you have experience with all levels, but Tell us about how you came up with parenting through eating disorders. I think I can speak to that. Collectively, we have just about every experience in the field that you could have from outpatient to administration to kind of being uh, in the school world. And, and, and honestly, I think one of the most inspiring things to me is being a parent to two teenagers. So (laughs) I remember saying, I'll I'll never let my kids throw a fit in the grocery store before I had children. (laughs) And then the fits came. So I kind of tongue in cheek figured out stuff. And then as the parent to teenagers, my oldest is going to be 17 here soon. I just developed a greater passion and compassion for the parents that we have in our 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 programs in our offices in our facilities to say boy i could tell you how to do all the things right but 
I want us to know how hard that is. I want us to know the nuances. I want to acknowledge, I think from, from my perspective, I've, I've been lucky enough to train therapists to treat eating disorders for years now. And I know that that is a long process to learn how to treat eating disorders well. And parents just get plunged in there overnight with the people that they love almost the most in the world. So I just developed such a compassion and the three of us really connected, having had the experience of working with teenagers in an inpatient facility, how, how much good it could do to be able to help heal parents and caregivers, right? They've had their own trauma with this and to give them the tools, almost like a tech in the program, right? We, we train our techs in the program to gain the skills and to go step-by-step to help recovery. And so from all of those angles, we really thought, how can we given the opportunity to step back into the outpatient world, how can we create something that the field needs? Yeah. I love your example of the toddler in the grocery store. Like I'll never let my, (laughs) and then, you know, bringing that into how do you help the parents gain the skills and going step-by-step in my, in my 30 years of practice, but many years with parents and, and, kids and teens, there's, there's so much there. And as I'm not a therapist, and so I'm just dealing with the, the food piece, but there's that emotional work that has to happen there too. How do you help people do that step-by-step gaining the skills? And then if I can add to that, actually, because it it does seem like there's a difference between parents who are coming to outpatient with their kiddo who came from inpatient versus parents who outpatient is their first step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'll go to Beth's question first and you guys chime in if you, um, if I'm missing anything. And this is Rebecca talking right now. Thank you. Uh, We have three parts to, to parenting through eating disorders. One is a psycho ed component where we do, we have, we have 15 modules and growing just of the pieces that, we would want uh, somebody in the program in an eating disorder facility to be trained enough to know so they have access to those modules that they can do at any time. But I, I will frequently have clients who say, I know all of this. I know all of it. Why can't I do it? So we give the access to the psycho ed, but then I think where the, you know, the, the transformation comes is that there's twice a week coaching and it's milieu based coaching, right? Where we would have a milieu based patient setting. Our parents are coming to group coaching twice a week because it's so isolating as a parent. And you hear the things that would make us as providers cringe, right? Mm -hmm. We'll just tell them to eat or I would never put up with that. And so they have a group of individuals who they can connect with, who get it, and um, almost like milieu, right? It competes with the eating disorder to feel heard and connected to individuals. Can you explain milieu to those dietitians who are listening, who haven't been in an inpatient program? Yeah, Gracie, I don't know if you want to take that. Milieu, yeah, so essentially it's a group. 
group-based treatment, relationship-based treatment. So it's, it means it's French. What's the literal translation <laughs> for milieu? That's okay. It's okay if we don't get that because the milieu as the group, when Rebecca was talking about the parents being two times a week with coaching, that means they're in community. Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. And, and the idea of eating disorders being isolating, the, re- the primary relationship becomes the eating disorder. So we compete with the eating disorder by connection connection with with a treatment team, connection with other people in a similar situation, and connection by first learning from others who've been there and then teaching others who are not as far along on the journey yet as you are. And through through that connection and community, you know, leads to support. In in my work, I saw such a lack of parents and families being able to truly feel supported, get support. And especially in the pandemic, it was, it was so devastating to so many families to feel even more isolated than they already did from, from this illness. And so what parenting through eating disorders also offers is essentially support every day and and a community to reach out to when they need. So one of us checks in every day on a private Facebook group because it isn't the knowing that they need. Mm-hmm. It's the like, okay, I know this and it was really hard to do in the moment or I forgot or I messed it up a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the support as they're trying to gain these new skills that, that they need to support and sustain recovery and to do their own parallel process in all of this. I, I just have to say when you said parallel, but also I know all of this as the dietitian, our clients are walking nutrition, like Google pages. And so it's not the knowledge. And even with the supervision groups that I do, you can read all the books, you can do all the webinars, you can't, but it's actually applying it to life is where you learn the most. So you are checking in with them through the private page in that moment of here's the experience I had and you can then, okay. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I I always use this saying, I, I use it at least once a week in a therapy setting to say, that's why therapists have jobs. It's not to tell you what to do. It's to support you as you're trying to figure out how to put it into play. And that's what people think that therapy, I mean, some people think it's like, you're going to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is actually, no. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to utilize your expertise and try and hone and pull it out. And then we're going to figure out what gets in your way and help you figure out ways around that or ways through that. All right. So there's the modules and those are there's a number that you gave us, but that's growing. And then that's the knowledge piece of it. And then the application, you're checking in with them a couple times a week. This is all virtual, right? It's all, okay, mm-hmm. Any anywhere? Can any, or is it just in your area? No, this is a national program that anybody from anywhere can join. And so our goal is really to support as many people as we can, because there's a real lack of eating disorder professionals in a lot of areas in the United States. 
so if we can provide this virtually, then it doesn't matter where anybody is, they have the support from, you know, experts in the field that they can connect with. Mm. So what are some of the biggest things that you do to help parents? Like, what are some of the biggest roadblocks that you see help come up? I've had the opportunity to, and this is so interesting to me. I've been an eating disorder therapist for over a decade. For I, I always try and equate it to um, my kid's age. So he's going to be 14. So <laughs> a long time. But I had the opportunity to work with some really amazing established coaches in the field. And they shed a perspective on working with the parents. It humbled me uh, because I thought, okay, with this knowledge of being an eating disorder um, treatment professional, I know what to do with parents, but it was just a little bit different. So it was about, I think the things that we uh, are acknowledging now that parents need that are just a little bit different are what's getting in your way for holding boundaries? Mm -hmm. What's getting in your way to not enable what is coming up in your big reactions? it's okay. This, this can be a safe space to say, I'm so furious with my child Mm -hmm. to validate. I think another thing that comes up a lot is shame Mm -hmm. and guilt Mm -hmm. and a secret belief, both for mom and for dad, that I caused Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And all of those things get in the way. What's getting in the way? Like, you know, if I push them too hard or if we have their weight goal too high the, the, or if they are feeling suicidal, those are things that can certainly get in the way of us pushing for health. Yeah. And I would say guilt is a huge theme that I've seen come out of our parenting through eating disorder support groups that I'm leading parents who maybe they've sent their child to inpatient treatment and they're constantly questioning if it was the right decision, Mm -hmm. but then they're able to come to the group and really talk about it. And then they're able to see, you know what, I did the most loving thing I could have done for them, even though it was difficult, but they really need that reassurance multiple times throughout the week sometimes because the journey is unfolding day by day. I think what I had seen happening before with my own patients was, you know, maybe parents came in once a week, we would have a good session and then things derailed throughout the week because maybe they felt guilty or they didn't know what to do and they forgot what we talked about. And so this is a way to kind of check in and recenter throughout the week as it's a very high stress situation in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And oftentimes, or sometimes that guilt will lead to parents rescuing. Mm -hmm. And what I see a lot of is, and you mentioned this, Beth, oh, maybe, maybe the weight goal's too high. You know, they tell me that they're struggling with this. How, how can I, how can I step in and take take their pain away. And so, so for us, it's, it's supporting parents to know, like, you're doing the right thing by not rescuing, by letting the, letting them kind of feel their feelings and move through the struggle. Mm -hmm. And I also think one thing that we really rely on and, and 
a value of ours is that they're, we want parents to come away, parents and, and kids to come away from this experience, having a stronger support system for the rest of their lives, right? We're not interested in just changing one family member. Mm-hmm. We want to change the dynamic mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. We want the 14-year-old in front of us to be the 28-year-old who goes back to mom and says, hey, I'm struggling with you know postpartum so that that parents are in the best position. Sorry, I'm kind of teary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> parents are in the best position, even better than a therapist to facilitate co-regulation. Mm-hmm. And if we can just teach them a little bit of, of what we as providers do in practice, they can be so powerful uh, in their kids' lives and they can teach that to the next generation and so on. So for us, it's kind of bigger, right? It's it's bigger than this one experience, even though this experience is big, it's an opportunity to make them stronger and connect them better than they've been in for the rest of their lives. All right. Those of you who know me know that I'm not in the business of advertising. I am in the business of getting the word out about different modalities that help us as practitioners do the best work that we can in eating disorders. And I uh, align with our sponsors for today, which is why I want to give a big shout out to Parenting Through Eating Disorders. With almost 30 years of combined eating disorders experience, our guests partner with caregivers of individuals with eating disorders. At Parenting Through Eating Disorders, their goal, as you can hear in this podcast, is to increase caregivers' ability to support treatment of their loved ones and their loved ones whether it's their child who is a young child an adolescent or an adult child parenting through eating disorders understands that eating disorders are traumatic not only for the person suffering but for the family unit as a whole so for family members looking at individuals recovering requires evolving modification of skills thinking patterns relationships big one, and habits will all be parts of the treatment journey. Parenting Through Eating Disorders partners with caregivers to learn the same skills that their loved one is and to evolve their own parallel process while their loved one is going through treatment. Supported parents who learn how eating disorders are treated, gain new skills for recovery, complete their own parallel process in a significantly stronger position to support their loved one's recovery. Caregivers can go to www.parentingthroughed.com for a free consultation with an eating disorder specialist who will provide resources to help you decide if parenting through eating disorders is the right fit for your family. And really highlights the importance of parents having therapy, having access to therapy. We It's constantly about the kid, which makes complete sense, but we've got to get the kid in therapy. We've got to get them to see the dietitian and even just hearing y'all speak to the parents' struggles as the dietitian, I, or the guilt that's, that was really what hit me was I don't often think about the guilt the parents are go through my relationship with the parent is like, respectfully, we've got to lay the hammer down. If they're not going to eat their meal, you give them a supplement, you know, like you're, you're doing a great job. High five, or even to send them to inpatient, like, you know what, that you did the best that you could and they're not following meal plan. You have to do this. But that feeling of guilt, I just, 
and doesn't cross my mind. So again, just goes to show the importance of that outpatient team in general. And it, it seems to me that we are shining more light on getting support for the parents. And this is just another, another great option. So we've been talking a lot about struggles the parents go through with their kiddos. What about in the situation where parents are divorced? How does that, what, what do you see there as a kind of additional layer? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's tricky. That is absolutely is an additional layer. Definitely. There's two sets of households that have just two different sets of values. I, I, I think psychoed is the most Mm -hmm. underutilized tool in our fields, teaching them about the way that the eating disorder works. We have a tool that we use, which is recovery culture versus current culture. It's not new or revolutionary, right? But it, it's a way to explain to families they're, they're swimming in one direction upstream and the culture at large is swimming against them. Let us teach you how to be a part of their school so that they're not swimming alone. These are eating disorder beliefs that will help to support recovery if we can, if we can pair you with recovery culture. So yes, getting all the parents on board for that. And, and Abby, I would say when parents are too misaligned, we would likely refer to counseling for them, right? So there is kind of this distinction between coaching and counseling. And that's, it's tricky because having your child have an eating disorder is not a diagnosable condition, right? But there's incredible um, pain and uh, opportunity to kind of explore and a need to look at the ways the whole system is going to have to change to sustain recovery. And when it gets to a point in time where the issues start to cross into, you know, family therapy, that's when we will make that referral. And I I also want to loop in the idea of the other side of the coin that uh, we spoke about and collaborated about in creating the program, it was, if we had all the time in the world, mm-hmm. how would we treat a teenager, let's say? If we had all the time in the world, we would work with them. We would set time aside to work with the family. We'd have an individual with mom, have an individual with dad, mm-hmm. explore what the needs of the sibling might be. As outpatient providers, mm-hmm. that time is just not available to us. And I remember myself feeling sad that I knew that that would be the best care and just not knowing how to care, how to pull it off. Mm-hmm. So we also hope to intensify and magnify the impact that our fellow colleagues are doing, right? If somebody could take the needs of the family if, if we could make sure, myself as a provider, right, if I could make sure that the family's needs were getting met, I wouldn't feel so fragmented in trying to spread myself to meet everybody's needs or as many needs as I could so that I could focus on the, the, the patient and know that the family was getting everything I hoped that they would have, the education, the support, the, the the kind of skill development that I, I would like for them to know. 
You mentioned, I'm curious too, this, the coach versus family therapy. So where's that scope of practice? Because the program that you have, Parenting Through Eating Disorders, is a coaching program and can be, you can do that anywhere in the world. What is that, that line that you would draw of when they need a family therapist, for example? Yeah, it, so the line for us is pretty, kind of is along the lines of, is this having to do with your child's eating disorder? Or is this having to do with you? Is this kind of moving into a line of like your diagnosable condition? Mm -hmm. Rebecca, when you said, sorry, I'm getting teary, what was that about? You were talking about the 28-year-old postpartum wanting to be able to talk to their mom. What was the teary about? I'm just curious. I didn't notice it, so I'm I'm glad that you noted it. Uh, yeah, I I think I uh, I guess personally, I think that that is so meaningful. And I think we're we're parents here. Gracie has a baby with us right now. <laughs> Um, on the way. On the way, yes. <laughs> Very close on the way. So being a parent is such a meaningful thing. And it is, it can be an incredibly painful, right? It's it's the best, most amazing thing you'll ever do. And it's probably the hardest thing you'll ever do mm -hmm. too. Like it will, it can shatter your soul at times. So I guess I was thinking about that, right? That I used to think when you're an adult, you figure out how to do it right. And then I got to be an adult and it was kind of like, oh, darn it. Those answers to those hard questions didn't come. And I thought as a young therapist without kids that I was going to figure out how to do it right because that was my training and education. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turns out they come with their own set of <laughs> personalities. And, and so this journey has really been about like, what are we responsible for as parents? And how can we utilize what we have and what we know and what we can rely on research-wise? Mm -hmm. Know what develops out those relationships, but also give freedom and space to not react. Mm. in that moment yeah that's where that coaching is so important and I just I mean I have to say that I got chills a few times when when you were just talking Rebecca before we hit record all three of you were talking about we're not just working with this 14 year old we're working with this 14 year old who's going to go out into the world and become an adult and have their own families possibly. And so it's really, it's, it's huge. The impact is huge. And in that moment as a parent with guilt, it's like I probably put too much emphasis on, on healthy eating or body size or, you know, that guilt has to be addressed, uh, the guilt and the shame. So I think about the emotion-focused work that uh, Dr. Adela France has done and and even some of the videos that they have shared through that of the parents talking about their guilt, having a platform to be able to talk through that. Well, you don't know what I've done. Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, let's get it out there because guess what? You're probably not the only one and let's, let's get in that community. Yeah. And I, I, thinking about working with guilt, if it's left unsaid, 
it turns into shame. And shame is one of the most powerful emotions, I think, that that we can have. And so even just by being able to say, you know what, I feel guilty because I feel like this is my fault and being able to talk about it and be vulnerable about it, then it can turn into something that they are able to move forward from instead of it controlling them and having power over them. I think that's a really important part with the parent support piece and the and the milieu group is being able to share, I feel this way. And for other people, instead of turning to shame and isolation, instead of turning towards connection and support, I think that's really important. It's a great idea, the milieu group. I looked it up, by the way, it means environment, but a great idea because oh, how I many times, like yeah, yeah. But our, you know, there's so many eating disorder support groups out there for the individuals who have the eating disorder, but yeah, like this just goes over the head for the parents. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking too, as a dietitian, just like how you said, Rebecca, there's just, we have such a, a lack of time to do everything we really want to do, but from a, a dietitian's perspective, all we have time for is to help the parents understand this is the meal plan. This is how you have to do it. If they don't do it, we do X, Y, and Z. And so there's not a lot of extra time for, to go over the feelings or the struggles. And so if you are also a dietitian or you're feeling like, man, I wish I could just have like 20 more minutes with this parent. This is such a good tool. I'm just wanting like everybody to understand how accessible this is. So how would someone as a clinician refer a parent to you? Is there a specific time they're able to join? Can it be any time? So we we do have open enrollment. That being said, we do try to limit the group to about eight people at a time, just because I think that individual touch is so important, right? To, for us to individually know the people that we're working with in their unique circumstances. But if somebody were interested in that, we have our website, which is www.parentingthroughed.com. That has a kind of an intro video to the, the program on it. And then they can use that website to get in contact with us. The Clinician can do that as well uh, if they want to kind of start the ball rolling for the family and say, hey, I have somebody that don't need to share names, but this is the experience. Do you think that you might be helpful to them and how? And then we could start that dialogue. They also can just refer the parents to us, to our website, and they could get started there. We uh, will always meet with the family up front, provide a consultation about our services to see how we might fit together if we are the best resource for them. And if we're not, we're, we're all really linked in into the eating disorder community. I've said more than once to parents, we've got this time together. Let's make sure you leave with some resources that will work for you because we, we do have that ability to be thoughtful and creative. Even mm-hmm. if we're not the best fit for them, we do know of a lot of resources for parents, for kids, um, for, for treatment. Mm-hmm. Do you have them sign releases so that you can work with their team, their current team, or how does that work? Yeah, they do have to sign a release for us in order to do that, in order to be informed. And then we just will have dialogue back and forth with providers, depending on how much they'd like to be involved and and how much 
they they'd like to kind of keep some separation. Mm-hmm. That's another tricky part, right? Is sometimes the 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 patient says, I don't want anything to do with my family being a part of this. Mm. So I think that it's important that people know that these this program can is completely independent of knowing anything that's going on with the patient. That's helpful. Right. Very helpful. Skills are the skills regardless, almost mm-hmm. bringing it back to the psych tech in a program. Mm-hmm. The skills are the skills. You, if you have the skills, you can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're teaching parents how to grow emotional coping skills. Mm-hmm. In what kind of dialogue um, can they do to facilitate growing those emotional support skills in their kiddos so that they develop skills to compete with the eating disorder. That's really helpful to know. You mentioned open enrollment, eight people at a time. So what is the general time frame that people, is Is there a beginning and an end or is it? Yes. Yeah. So it's a 12 week course. And so they have those 12 weeks to kind of go through the modules at their own pace. And then for 12 weeks, they would meet twice a week with the, the group milieu and have access to the Facebook page. So if we're doing open enrollment, you know, spots would open up every so often as somebody finishes their their 12 weeks of programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing I wanted to mention, we're talking about parenting through eating disorders, and often people think that means kids or minors. And I think it's important to note that we have families who maybe their 27-year-old daughter is inpatient, and the parents are at their wits end. They don't know what to do anymore. They're worried this would be a fit for them too, because that's an ongoing relationship with their child and they are actively still parenting them and and need support. And they may not have anything to do with their treatment because they're an adult and they don't have access to the therapist and the dietitian, but yet their daughter is coming home and acting on eating disorder behaviors and they're paying for treatment and all of those things. So I just wanted to mention that as well. You know, that's really helpful because I'm picturing that, okay, so there we have family-based treatment, right? FBT that's been studied on younger folks with anorexia, but also being studied for bulimia nervosa and then and, and older. So I'm picturing parenting through eating disorders is like the FBT where I'm going to put the food out for you and you're going to eat, but that 27-year-old, there's other skills that may not include that. I see you all shaking your head. Yeah. So I, I was able to do some advanced training with Adele LaFrance in EFFT. Mm. And there is that emotion coaching component that mm. goes along with FBT mm. and is part of that. And I, I, I love FBT. I, I stand behind it. And there are times where it's not a fit for the family. Mm. What parenting through eating disorder does is it aims to translate those emotion coping skills that are introduced to parents in that aspect of treatment and it transports that to whatever whatever is the modality that happens to work for your child or the 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 treatment that you are working on at this time we can take what we know that works there and move it to applicability wherever your loved one is yeah love it yeah i'm glad that you mentioned that because i I was definitely thinking of children, but we've been talking about how parents of kids feel isolated, but probably parents of adult children feel even more so. Kind of 
like 18, 19, 20 is really hard because they they can opt out of having their family involved and, and there's not a whole lot that the provider can do at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to, Gracie and Sarah, I want to ask you both this question now, since there's two of you, and this can usually bring up some good convo as well. But if you were to take yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? Mm, good question. Oh, that's a great question. All we can do is offer. Mm. It is not up to us as providers to fix or to convince or what strong arm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, inpatient, maybe, you know, it depends. I'm just kidding. But all we can do is offer. All we can do is offer our knowledge and our support and offer resources. And it is up to the parents. It's up to the patient, the client to take advantage and utilize those. I would actually agree with Gracie. I think when you first get started as a therapist in eating disorders or, or really with almost any issue, there's this thought that if I do therapy correctly, Mm -hmm. then they will get better. And I actually think this is so applicable to parenting through eating disorders, because I think parents think that too. If I do everything right, then they'll get better. Or if, if I wouldn't have done these things and they would have never developed Mm -hmm. this eating disorder. So I even think learning the skills as a therapist to know, you know, we can make the environment, there are things we can do to help a person. There are things we can do to make it easier for them to get better and to recover. But ultimately it's accepting the things that we can't control and doing something about the things that we can. So those are great. Rebecca, I bet you're wondering what you answered in your last one. So because we all evolve, even over a month's or a year's time, how would you answer that question? What do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? Yes, I was listening to my amazing colleagues, and I think that I would build on that too to say it's 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 theirs for the taking and that what our role is, is I almost liken it to like riding a, a, a bull. As long as you can stay on and, and they will try with all their might um, to, to buck you off. But as long as you can kind of stay in your lane, like this isn't mine to fix. I'm offering skills. I, I will even I'll hold your hand the entire time, but I'm going to stay on. Wow. That's a quite a visual too. And I'm picturing the whole body having to move with the bowl to stay on. It's a, it's not just like I'm going to passively stay on this bowl. Sometimes you feel like you, you want to fall off or you are going to fall off. Well, that's my, I frequently will have to step back and say, I just have to stay on. There's nothing I can do to fix. Mm-hmm. I just mm. have to. Well, thank you all three of you for joining us on this episode of the Seasoned RD, and we really, really appreciate your perspective, your energy, the offering of Parenting Through Eating Disorders as a coaching program for 
parents, regardless of the age of the, their child. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah, you so thank much you. for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. I, I can tell we're all passionate. <laughs> Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com professionals.